Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and purpose. Those that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there is a flip book, which you are free to read, that is written by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me, with very original thought and understanding. And there's a lot of the print that is highlighted in red. Those are links to YouTube videos, which you can watch, which are very profound and amazing videos from many fields of science and archaeology that show the reality of what I am sharing here, that it is the truth. The messages that I share, I share to those that have come to know the ultimate source of love, of reality, the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love, the one true eternal God. And these messages are spoken prophetically in the sense that I will obey the commandment in the word of God, which says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. When we as believers of the one true eternal God, through Jesus Christ, gather together, we are to always seek to fulfill this verse I quoted. We are to seek to allow the Spirit of God to speak through us. That should be the case with the leadership, and it should be that every member of the assembly has the freedom to spontaneously share as God moves by, their, by His Spirit upon them to share. That means you don't ask permission to use the microphone. It means it's totally spontaneous. If the Spirit is rising up in you, you do not quench the Spirit. You allow the Spirit to speak forth His Word. Whether that comes in the form of a song that you don't even know what it's going to be, but you know you're to sing out. And lo and behold, in God's creative power working through you, it becomes a beautiful song. Or whether it's a prophetic word, word of knowledge, testimony, word of exhortation, or a prayer, that is to God at the same time as speaking to the people, whatever it is. We seek to speak not our own words, but the words that are coming from God. Revelations 19.10 amplifies on this. It says there, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of a pure heart, in great reverence and love for God, towards God. There is the overflowing of God's Spirit in us that results in creative utterances that are beyond ourselves so that we can speak prophetically. That doesn't mean just in the sense of the future. It simply means that it becomes words that are beyond our own words that are coming out of us because they are coming out of the flow of the Spirit of God. So I am here to share 
what I receive today. And I, to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God prophetically, what I do is I cast lots to get the possibility of any chapter in the Bible. I do this with two random applications on the internet to get two chapters so that those two chapters would bear witness with each other as to what the theme is that God is wanting to be spoken. And then, after a half an hour of meditating on those two chapters, I speak. Often immediately after, but now I'm starting to get more in the habit of having my meal first and then doing the message after my meal and a bit of a nap sometimes. And so I will share with you what I received today. And this is far beyond coincidence, what I get, because this continually happens and it often almost always blends with what the theme was the day before and the day before that. It's almost like it's a springboard onto the next message. This is all way beyond coincidence because I do this with great reverence before God. Maybe not all of you are called to cast lots, but the word of God says the casting of the lot and the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. In Proverbs 16, 33, Matthew 24, 45 to 46 says, Who then is a faithful wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household? What? To give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. We are to be those that have a timely word for you as an individual and for the body of Christ. And today is... December the 26th of 2022 on Monday, the day after Christmas. And it might be my first podcast that will be on my Substack, which I know is David James Thompson at whatever the, I don't even know the exact, I think it's David James Thompson at Substack, but whatever, you, you go to Substack, you'll find that that's where it is at. Of course, I've done almost 300 messages now, but uh, this is the day I may begin there. And so I am going to share with you, first of all, we always, in my messages, partake of a worship song, which I also get by the casting of Lot over 1,257 different songs. 1,080 of them are from a hymn book, which are hymns throughout church history and also from the underground church in China that had taken place through the work of Watchman Nee. Back in the 70s, he was martyred. And so many of these songs, all of the songs I have, are on a playlist on my website at loverealized.com. And it's rich with songs that have, the words have great meaning, beautiful melodies and tunes. I don't want any, I have a very high standard for that. So they're all from YouTube videos that you can play on your head projector. You can play YouTube on your head projector for a church service and you don't have the musicians or whatever, or you just want to listen to some really good songs. I got a long playlist there of high quality songs. So first of all, I will share with you the song that I received today by the casting of Lot and we will play that song first. 
So here we go with that. Wonderful. And as you will discover, the theme of the message today from the chapters I received by the casting of Lot has to do certainly with repentance. And we will go to those chapters now and I will begin to share what God is wanting to say by his spirit out of a heart set and a mindset of worship, because that is how the spirit of prophecy flows. That is how preaching that is prophetic flows is out of a heart set and a mindset of worship. 
as mentioned and quoted in Revelations 19.10, previously in this message. So we will turn, first of all, to those scriptures I received today by the casting of Lot. Today I received Isaiah 55, and then I received Leviticus 16. And at first I did not see the common theme between these two chapters. And so I cast lots to get a third chapter, and I got John chapter 12, which does have a very clear theme that is more easily perceived. And then I realized what the theme was between the first one that confirmed with Isaiah 55, which was Leviticus 16. The common theme in these three chapters is repentance, which involves the laying down of our lives. To completely die to the loves of the world, it is also on the fruit of repentance and its final consummation in the return of Christ and the receiving of the gift of eternal life. So I want to, first of all, we'll turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah chapter 55 here. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me and hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David." Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord. Now the word in the original is Yahweh, most accurately. Some call it Jehovah. Yahweh, thy almighties, which in the original is Elohim, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because of Yahweh thy Almighties, for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye Yahweh while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be, that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that 
which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I read the whole chapter. I don't always do that. But in this chapter, we see, first of all, that there must be vision. Remember the song we sang and that we received by the casting of Lot was, Be Thou My Vision. Now the word of God says, Without a vision, the people perish. When there's corruption in our lives, it is destructive. And it's like a snowball effect. It increases in its destructiveness in our personal lives and how we affect those around us. Because we're cleaving to our own ways. We are our own God and we are refusing to come into a place of true conversion that involves genuine repentance. And we see in the first part of this chapter, God emphasizing that you should recognize that what you are doing to find fulfillment in your life in the loves of the world is empty and vain. Even in your attempts to survive, you're not trusting me. You're in a world trying in your own sufficiency to have a comfortable life and a life where you have set up your own idolatrous understanding of me and that is related to feeding your self-worship in defiance of me. And what is it? You're spending money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which doesn't satisfy. The solution is to hearken diligently unto me so that you will eat that which is good. And this is not speaking about physical food. Christ said to Satan, get thee behind me, Satan, because Satan tempted him to turn that stone into bread. He could have done it easily. But he doesn't have motives that are impure by outside influences. Those that are born of the Spirit are not led by outside influences that are natural. That is why it says, People can't understand those that are born again of the Spirit. They're like the wind that's blowing in the tree. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. How? Oh, I mean, most people, they have a natural motive to do this and a natural motive to do this. This guy goes totally against everything in the natural. They think it's strange that you do not run with them to the same excess of riot and of self-hedonistic indulgenous practices. The secret is that we must have our eyes open to see where true fulfillment is. That is the vision. Christ talked about this. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a man looking for a precious diamond 
or a precious treasure. And when he sees this treasure in the field, he sells everything he owns to purchase that field in order to get that treasure. And when we really see the treasure of God's plan and destiny and purpose for our lives, it is not a hard thing in a certain sense. To forsake the loves of this life and die to them completely. Because in place of it, there is true wholeness that comes into our lives. I have discovered that in many Pentecostal churches, including charismatic churches and other churches, of course, evangelical churches and so on, that there is more and more teachers that are justifying a life that is unholy. The word of God says, be ye holy for I am holy. And it says that no man shall see the Lord without holiness in the word of God. Now, I don't have time to go to all these verses when I prepare a message this fast, but you can be sure it says that in the word of God in the New Testament. Why is holiness so important? It is important because holiness means you're not controlled by the temporary baits of this world that the enemy can use to manipulate your life, for one thing. And where does holiness come from? It comes from God. And let me explain this. It comes from the right perception of God. And the right perception of God is the genuine fear of God. And I'm going to explain this. God is love. And love, the highest form of love, is agape love, as described in the Bible. There's agape in the Greek, and there's philia, and there is eros, the lowest form of love, which is sexual. Agape love is a quality beyond feeling. Philio involves the feeling, and, there's, and that's all good. But agape love, like you might feel sympathy for someone that's poor and suffering. That's a filial motivation. But agape love always chooses the highest lasting good even when it doesn't have the accompaniment of the filial. It is a choice to always choose the highest lasting good over any lesser choice because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love that is who God is is a consuming fire of judgment. It is so integral, so integrous, that it is a consuming fire of judgment against all that is contrary to choosing the highest lasting good. It is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption. It is what ensures that there can be a destiny where there is no corruption, no one is heaven. And I have written a book which is called God Headship in Body Invade. Pardon me. Well, there's that one. That's a very important one. But the one I wanted to mention is the one I just put up there in Amazon, which is Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable by David James Thompson. Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable. And one of the things that is so obvious for those that are genuine Christians that have entered the afterlife 
is that everything in heaven that is causing the light, that is causing the intelligence and the plants that communicate with you and the trees that communicate with you and and the animals and everything and, and the beauty, which is beyond anything that I can put in a few words here in a few moments. They all say the same thing. It's the intensity of God's love that is causing all of this. Love is what is behind the reality of all things that exist that are good. What is not good is the source of our own action because we are created with free will. Won't get into that right now. But this love I'm talking about, this love that is so pure, that is so integrous, is the defensive aspect of the love of God. It is the integrity of his love. It is the holiness of God. What the enemy does is he causes us, like he did with Cain. Cain saw all the consequences of the curse. And he got his focus on all the suffering around him and the suffering in his own life. And why would God allow all this? Some measure of doubt, some measure of bitterness or unthankfulness. And that focus caused a warped, idolatrous, monotheistic perception of God that he is some kind of dictator that demands appeasement, demands sacrifice. God did not intend when he gave the Ten Commandments for their focus to be on the law. He commanded in the context of the law that they should love him with all their heart and mind and being. And that means that when you see the severity of God's dealing in your own life and in the world around you, all the suffering, your focus isn't on that, but you recognize the consequences are because of rebellion against this love that is so pure. Then we begin to recognize that the love of God or this love or the holiness of God is good. It says to worship God in the beauty of that comes out of holiness. The beauty of holiness out of the integrity of God's love is the very source of beauty, the very source of life. And God is wanting us as his people to love the holiness of God and to get and to have our hearts so un- recognize our undoneness before him that there is a deep turning in our heart to reciprocate God and his holiness, first of all. And it's only when you genuinely perceive rightly and choose to perceive rightly the holiness of God so that you reciprocate it into your heart out of a deep turning in your heart that you can then recognize the goodness of God and that therefore the goodness of God would always provide for those that are his creatures ultimate purpose and destiny and therefore that God has the power to forgive in order to provide that without inviolating the integrity of his love. And so, we cry out for his mercy because we see our undoneness and there's a circumcision that takes place in our heart because of that two-edged sword. First, the perception of the holiness of God and the other side of that sword is the mercy of God that we can receive it because he's good. 
And that is what is involved in true repentance. It's having a vision of God. Not, I'm not talking about some vision you see that's with your physical eyes. I'm talking about a perception, a right perception of God, that we choose to rightly perceive him. That is what the genuine fear of God is. Only in this perception of God do we perceive what is ultimately trustworthy and worthy to contain unlimited power, unlimited life, and authority without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way and thus indicative that God is the very source of ultimate authority and power of, of what is ultimately trustworthy, that we can fully trust him. And so we need to see that out of holiness comes wholeness because then we drink of that ever-living water. As Christ said, whoever believes with their life into me out of his innermost being would flow rivers of living water. And so in this passage, there's the emphasis on the fact that true satisfaction is in diligently hearkening unto God and receiving who God is. And then he promises that he will make an everlasting covenant with them. And remember, what I received in the previous messages was on God calling his people to repentance that he might make a covenant with them and that he would even make cause that covenant to go all the way in the last days to a covenant with the beasts of the field and so on which is talking about the millennial reign of Christ, where the presence of God causes the lion to lie down with the lamb, etc., etc. And there is that theme in this chapter here towards the end. It is describing, again, that the ultimate consummate purpose is going to be the coming forth of the kingdom of God, where it talks about you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Well, that's just in Isaiah 55. But what's in John 12 and Leviticus 16? With all, I mean, I'm almost a half an hour preaching already. I haven't even got there. So I want to go to um, John 12. If I can get there quickly. Sometimes it's digital stuff. There we go. What we see, now John 12, actually I should do Leviticus 16 first. But since I'm in John 12, I'll just go with that. What we see in John 12 is Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And then Mary takes a pound of ointment, a spikenard, and costly, and anoints the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair. And of course, the righteous one self-righteous like Judas Iscariot, is indignant about it all. And says, why wasn't this sold to the poor? And of course, Christ responds. And then the chief priests and so on are consulting to kill Lazarus because so many people are believing in Christ because of this amazing resurrection of Lazarus that Christ performed before his own crucifixion and resurrection. And they're taking branches and palm trees in the next, in this scene in chapter 12. As Christ comes in on a donkey into Jerusalem, saying, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Continues to talk a bit about Lazarus and how they're consulting 
possibly take his life. But then it comes in this chapter 12, and there's certain Greeks that want to see Jesus because here he is. He looks like he's going to be the Messiah King, and they're so they want to say, This is the coming King. Look at he's coming in a donkey. Multitudes are praising him, he's doing all these miracles. And so Christ's response, Philip comes and he tells Andrew, Andrew, it says, Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, well, these Greeks, they want to see you because they feel you're very important. You're obviously the Messiah King. What does Christ say? He says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it on to life eternal. Here again, we see the importance of true repentance is that we totally die to this world. The outward shell of a grain of corn. It cannot bear fruit until that outward shell is broken down by the erosion of soil, by the melting of the heat of the sun, and by the water penetrating it. And the shell represents our soul, which is our self-awareness. It's not just our emotion, mind, and will. It's our self-awareness of who we are. The spirit is that capacity in us to worship. And in our unredeemed state, we are in a deceptive state of being where our spirit is worshiping our own soul. It hasn't been broken. It says in the word of God, except ye become as a little child and be converted as a little child, you cannot perceive the kingdom of God. It involves a breaking of pride, true conversion because it involves a choice to genuinely believe, as Christ said, whoever believes in me, out of their most inner being would flow rivers of living water. That is a belief from the heart in who God really is, in his ultimate trustworthiness of a quality of being that is integrous and it will not tolerate sin and yet is filled with mercy. There is no love greater than you can consider the love that God's love was so great that before the world was created, it was always in the being of God. There was always within the being of God the capacity to humble himself more than you, a mere creature, to suffer more than you, a mere creature, as he did on the cross in this time and space realm, so that you would be able to have the choice to be forgiven and cleansed of your sin and reconciled to God. You cannot comprehend a love that is greater than this. There is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this or that could exist that is greater than this. This is a love that is an ultimate trustworthiness, only worthy of total worship and only where you will find your full fulfillment for you were created to find your fulfillment in loving union and fellowship with God and in worship of God. How can you reject this love that is so great to have gone to this extent so that you can choose to turn to God and recognize him and receive him in his holiness, recognize you're a sinner and cry out from the depths of a true turning in your heart. That's the true fear of God. And say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
That is the only way we can be delivered from loving our lives above our relationship with God. It is he that hates his life, the soul life that is in independence from God. He that hateth his life, that word life is soul, in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. We abhor the things in our soul that are deceptive, that deviate from holiness. And there are many teachers nowadays that don't want to recognize that God is that severe against sin. But if we start to love the holiness of God and recognize that the holiness of God is only what will bring wholeness in our being and that with that wholeness comes the flow of the life of his spirit that can swallow up the corruption in us with that which can even heal our body in the natural and overflow out of us with healing power to touch the lives of others. It requires repentance. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. And then Christ describes that he's about to face the cross, and I won't go into that, because I want to touch on Leviticus 16, if I can somehow get there with this electronic thing, the way it works. I'll just try, of course, but I think I better just turn to it to a Leviticus chapter 16, which is right here. That's not too bad. I got it already. And I want to point out some of the things in Leviticus chapter 16 on repentance. The Lord spake unto Moses in verse 1, after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died, because they offered strange fire contrary to what God commanded them. And, God, and the Lord says, said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Now, the approach of God by the high priest is very awesome and there's the danger of his death and this is because he's representing a whole nation as individuals people had a, many of them a remnant not the majority but many had truly experienced rebirth Enoch walked so close with God that he was not Christ expected Nicodemus to know all about that before he died on the cross yes people were born again of the spirit from the time of Adam all the way through there was true conversion. There was the true reciprocation of God the Father. And in John 12 that we just read, I forgot to point out that there's a verse there where Christ says, whoever believes in me is believing in the Father because I am, and in Hebrews 1.3, it says that Jesus Christ is the full expression of God the Father. And I could go into talking about the Trinity, but there's no time in this message. I'll do it in another message talking about the triunity of God. Some people are offended with the word Trinity, and I don't need to use that word. Because some people do have a misconception that there's three gods. There's not three gods. There's one true eternal God. But right here, we are talking about the holiness of God. But as individuals, people experience 
a relationship of fellowship. They prophesied, they, but it is different before Christ came because the Holy Spirit could only dwell with them then and not indwell them. He could dwell with them because the physical body could be cleansed by animal sacrifices, allowing the Spirit to dwell with them, but not in them because the soul and spirit could not be cleansed by an animal sacrifice. But I want to share here with you what God is saying about repentance in this passage of Scripture. So we see the awesomeness of the holiness of God because this is God's presence seeking to dwell not just with individuals, but with a whole nation corporately. So there's great um, uh, importance in the approach of God and so on here. And it describes, you know, that you have to even... They had to even apply the blood of these animals they sacrificed to the altar itself. And this represents that even our heart can't come before God and give our lives as a true, pure sacrifice to God in our own strength. We come to a place of utter humility before God where we realize we cannot even pay the price in our own sufficiency and strength to give our lives as a living sacrifice to him or we'll fall into the air of an idolatrous perception of God, Cain kind of worship. And the idolatrous city of Cain in the pre-flood world was also begun in the first city after the flood. I think I'm pronouncing it more or less right, Arudu, and then from there there was Nineveh. But they had the moon god and the moon god was also in Babylon and then it spread from there to Arabia where you have the symbol of the moon of those that were marching around that rock of many gods and chose the moon god as the main god. All of this is Cain worship. It is idolatrous, monotheistic perception of God where people have not been truly born again of the Spirit. The issue is that even the altar had to be sanctified. Because we and our own strength cannot even give our lives to God. We recognize our weakness. We say, God, be merciful and forgive me and give me the strength to truly see you for who you are, that I truly have that vision so that I perish not, so that I am motivated to let go of those things that I'm so easily deceived to allow to be a manipulative influence on my life and eclipse my love relationship with you. So we see here in this passage, basically, the importance of approaching the presence of God. And it says in verse 16, and he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgression in all their sins, and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. You see, the tabernacle was where God's presence was, and there it is in the midst of a nation that's very unclean in their hearts. And there's much I could share here, but I'm not for time able to share it. And it says, you know, about sprinkling the altar, and it goes on. 
And I'll just uh, leave it at that for now and just touch on it by that much. But I want to read the last part because there, there's a strong emphasis on repentance again. And it says, For on that day shall be the shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. And it shall be a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statue forever. And the priest whom he shall anoint and whom shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead shall make the atonement and shall put on linen clothes and so on and so forth. They were to afflict their souls before God on that day in true repentance. And whoever did not afflict their soul was cast out from being part of the nation of Israel, whether they were a Jew or a Gentile that was living among them. So there is a clear emphasis in these passages that God is calling his people to return to the genuine fear of God and to genuine repentance. I've written a book called God Headship and Body Invasion. That is a book that shows how when you gather together as a congregation, not to limit the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ from fully inhabiting your congregation. It has many suggestions, over 270 some odd pages. It's got, it is an outline form, but it's more or less like really lots of writing and paragraphs. And I, it goes into depth on the seven ones of Ephesians, on tongues, and in many things. But the main thing in that book is it is calling people to forget about your pre-service prayer meetings and make your church service a prayer meeting, out of which can spring forth an awareness of Christ in your midst more than the people at the front or some program. And out of that, you facilitate fully each member of the body to function, to move in the gifts of the Spirit. and It's a return to being under a new order, which is the fullness of the headship of Christ, where his house becomes a house of prayer and holiness again. And this is what God is calling the churches throughout the United States to do to restore their nation back to God. And to conquer, this is the route for conquering your nation and healing the land. If you're going to continue to just be the church the way you've always been, you're not repenting. You're not repenting of your gods of amusement where you spend hours watching sports instead of redeeming the time because the days are evil. You need to repent of these idols and buy the extra oil and become the bride church of Christ. God is calling you to wake up, to repent of consuming all your time seeking to fulfill your own comforts and pleasures and to rise up and to recognize the hour of darkness and to shine as bright lights in a world that is filled with hopelessness as never before. Need I tell you that the election has been stolen now the second time? That COVID-19 has been killing multitudes of people according to top statisticians. 20 million have already died worldwide. They expect it to go up to 75 million by 2025 from those that have had two or more vaccines. These are all things you can find on my website. I have links to very good, valid news sources there. So thank you for listening to this message.
And I encourage you to support me through your prayers. Maybe purchase God Headship and Body Invasion for your church, or you can purchase the one Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. I have them all at very low prices on Amazon. Thank you for listening to this message. And I am blowing the trumpet, and I pray there's many others that do, so that we rally the body of Christ to come together and to seek the Lord as never before and return to being his house of prayer and holiness. Thank you for listening to this message.